T-Mobile has invested billions to light up America's largest 5G network from big cities to small towns, including right here in yours. And great coverage is just the beginning. Right now, families and small businesses can save up to 20% versus AT&T and Verizon when they switch. Visit your local T-Mobile store today. Plan savings with three lines of T-Mobile essentials versus comparable available plans. Plan features and taxes and fees may vary. Well, we're coming to you live from the Rocket Mortgage by Quicken Loan Studios. Rocket Mortgage with you every step of the way to provide a seamless mortgage experience. It's Ken Carmen on CBS Sports Radio. 855-212-4227. We got five burning questions coming up in less than 20 minutes. It's just taken off. I didn't mean for it to do it. I actually have a point to make about Drew Brees. I'm just still going to be stubborn and not going to do it until 140. Because I said, I think he's the most underrated quarterback in NFL history, and I have six reasons why. And all of a sudden... About the greatest quarterback got brought up, and away they went. I got Zach Wansink on Twitter saying that I, I guarantee I butchered that name, Zach. Sorry. Gives me most underrated player ever. He's got Eli Manning. Eli Manning's probably one of the most underrated quarterbacks ever. I got to admit. I do think that Drew Brees is the most underrated quarterback. Jay Flanelli's tweeting at us. Jay, you know Tom Brady. I can't put you in the mix. I can't talk to you about it. But he gives me, I did this for the NFL 100. All-time, 80, all-time quarterbacks are easy. Eight are easy, he says. Unitas, Graham, Baugh, Elway, Marino, Montana, Brady, Peyton. Pick among these five for your last two. Breeze, Favre, Terkinton, Young, Warner. I'm going to, we do the same thing in the NBA. Because the gatekeepers, you hey, you got a Christmas party coming up. You want to make your uncle mad? If you're in New England, tell him Bob Cousy couldn't be the sixth man on your current NBA team. Actually, tell him Bob Cousy couldn't make the current Boston Celtics. 855-212-4CBS. I mean that and bring it. Because it's going to make the old heads upset. Otto Graham was great. He was great. He was amazing. I think he won a national championship in basketball, too. Like, he was an incredible athlete. Times have changed. So I'm I'm being respectful here. What Sammy Baugh did was sensational. In the 1930s and 40s, it was sensational. I, I bring this up with a guy like Gene Hickerson here locally. Gene Hickerson is a Hall of Fame guard who was at 260 pounds. Now, if he were born in 1979 and he were bigger, maybe he would be a bigger person, obviously. But we just know things that are different. So today's athlete is bigger, faster, stronger. And from those generations of both basketball and football, baseball is almost relatively the same. That's what makes it a classic American sport. You can go back and make the same arguments for Ted Williams that you would for Mike Trout and have that type of argument because at the end of it, it's still seed ball, hit ball. Maybe it's changing now with launch angle. Get back to me in five to, five to ten years. Maybe it changes a little bit. But in basketball and baseball, or basketball and football, the physicality is different. So there's only a certain few guys who could play in the bygone era and, and be very, very good in today's game. Dick Buckkiss played in the bygone era, would be very, very good in today's game, would be a good player in 2019 with that type of play. Jim Brown would be that type of guy. Maybe Johnny Unitas would be that type of guy, the first guy to ever do it. That's why Johnny Unitas should be on this list, and he didn't come to my mind first off, and I'm glad that Tom brought him up. Tom, Johnny Unitas is definitely on this list. But that's that's basically where it ends. 
So you get mad and your grandpa will get mad and your uncle will get mad and some of you guys listening might get mad. I'm sorry. You, you know the physicality, the physics of it, the sheer genetics of it. It's, it's just different, folks. So when I broke down the top 10, did you come up with the top 10 real quick, Tom? Did you do that? I did not. I was going to react to yours, but I guess I, I can. Right. I'm gonna, well, I'm still going to get the Philip and Conway Arkansas here in a second. Tom Brady, Joe Montana, Peyton Manning, Drew Brees, Eli Man. Or, blah, 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 blah. Oh, misspoke. Number five is John Elway. Eli. That, no, no, that was a Freudian slip. John Elway is number five. Eli Manning can hold his bags for him. Marino, Kelly, Favre, Unitas. Number 10, Rogers. Number 11, Aikman. Number 12, Autogram. Is that fair? All the way until Aikman. Aikman and Breeze for me are a little Man, overrated. You really hate what you what, first Think off, I don't this. know how I don't know how Breeze is overrated Could to you. you. Second of all, I don't he won three Super Bowls. He was part of the triplets. I don't have Bradshaw up here. Maybe I should have Bradshaw higher. Maybe I'm missing there. He still threw for what thirty six thousand yards, thirty three thousand yards. He wasn't a great player. I'm not saying he doesn't belong in the hall. It's just like look at the offense he was on compared to all the other players you're talking about. All the other players you're talking about are the offense of their teams. They were the offense for their franchise. Troy Aikman played on a, yeah, a juggernaut, all timer, but he still had to be good. Offensive line. He still had to be all-time good. All time great running back. All time great number one wide receiver. No, yeah, of course. It's not he's like he was a dry fart. I mean, come I on, Tom. He's still he's a, a great quarterback. I said he's a Hall of Famer. I just don't agree that he's in the top fifteen. But I don't have a top fifteen offer, so I guess. I well, here, well you know what? Him. We go to the home of Peyton Hillis, Conway, Arkansas, and Philip. He's next up on CBS Sports Radio. Man, what's going on? Appreciate you having me on. Glad to have you. Go ahead. So, I will start off by saying you'd make your job a lot easier if you went top five with people who are still active, and then a top 15 for inactives, because then you have a little bit more wiggle room. But I just think I make it harder. I might as well make it harder on everybody. Go ahead, Philip. <laughs> with that being said, I am not an Aikman supporter. I am a huge Cowboys fan. Mm-hmm. But looking – it's funny. I was on my Facebook feed and listening to your show, and one of the CBS Sports articles came up pointing out that Troy Aikman is a six-time Pro Bowler, three-time Super Bowl winner, Ring of Honor inductee, Pro Football Hall of Fame resident, and I don't know, is there another quarterback that's as decorated as that that's retired? I mean, that right there should be enough to get him at least top ten. I mean, you could bump down one of those others, maybe an Elway, bump him down, move Aikman to nine, move Aikman to ten, at least put him in the top ten. And once again, I don't like the guy. I think he's way too biased against the Cowboys. Same How is he biased like against the Cowboys? Cowboys? You're a Cowboy fan. He played for the Cowboys. He's, he's as busted as in Canton as a Cowboy. How, how is he biased against the Cowboys? Come on, Philip. I got to hear this. So when you listen to his analysis, when you listen to his announcing, he's always the one who points out the negative. You, you'll have somebody like a Colin Coward who is hmm. a kind of dead even. You'll have a Bill Ryder who's kind of dead even, points out negative and positive. Uh, even you yourself point out negative and positive. Thank Him you. and Dion seem to always go negative. I also don't like Michael Irvin because he's kind of a fanboy when it comes to his analysis. He only hmm. points out positive. I like, I like non-biased. 
you know, know what? I, 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 for a second, I, Tom and Philip, I thank you very much for the call. I thought it was a great call. This is there's a reason behind this. Tom groaned in my ear as you said he was too negative. Now, hear me out on this. I think that maybe a little bit with Troy, and I, I've watched him basically every game because they're always on him and Joe Buck. Uh, I've watched him basically every single game. Try at the beginning of the year, I thought he did try to be a little bit. I, I thought I caught a little bit more positivity out of Troy. I think Troy, I think he's more of a cowboy than anybody or the haters, quote unquote, want to call him. I think that he's more of a cowboy there, and I think he's absolutely disgusted at times with what he sees out of the Dallas Cowboys. I don't think that Troy Aikman is a dummy by any means. I think Troy Aikman is actually pretty good, and I think Troy Aikman sees what he sees on the field, and he is very upset because he knows that they could be better. That's it. I think he's upset with what's going on. I'm sorry, Tom. That's it. Okay. That's exactly Uh, it. Drew Pearson just said on our air last night, less than 24 hours ago, that that Troy Aikman and Jerry Jones – like, Troy Aikman is as close to Jerry as anybody not in the Jones family on the earth. They are that close. He is that ingrained in the Cowboys. And unfortunately, he has the responsibility of live reacting to the to the train wreck happening every almost every single week. They which put is a him brutal it, job. And they he put, really yes. is patient with them. Yes, because you think about this. They put him in a bad spot. I want to see what Tony Romo would do on Fox and what T- Troy Aikman would do on CBS. Because Tony Romo does, when they do, and it's going to change soon because now they're going to start drawing for him, which is going to make the NFL even more money. But as we know, CBS does the road team, the AFC road team. So where they go, they usually go so they have a nice mix and they can be in Dallas some years and things like that. And Fox gets the NFC road team. Well, most of the games that Dallas plays, because they're the number one, they got the most followers out of everybody. I don't want to say the number one fan base. They got the most followers out of everybody. America's team. <laughs> well, that means that the number one team, Joe Buck and Troy Aikman, they're going to be in Dallas. And the guy played in Dallas. And I think Troy Aikman is reacting the same way a lot of Cowboys fans react. And he's trying to keep himself together. When they went out there on Thanksgiving Day, and you got Josh Allen kicking the tar out of you. I was on Thanksgiving morning. I brought it up. I go, this is your one chance, Dallas. Here you go. You got this opportunity here. And what did they do? They they scored first, and then they just let the game get away from them, and they looked like garbage the entire time. Josh Allen was muck, munching on turducken for the rest of the evening, and you guys were munching on crow. And Troy Aitman sees that. And I'm sure he's disgusted in what he sees because you have a decent offensive line. You have a pretty decent defense. You have Zeke Elliott. You have Dak Prescott. And Dak Prescott's been pretty damn good this year. And you're the record you're at. You can't beat up on the on the on the Eagles and the Redskins and the Giants. He's just as disgusted as anybody else. And Tony Romo is on CBS. So you're naturally going to see more AFC games because you're not going to be in Dallas as much. You're not going to see any of that stuff, even though Troy Aitman, I think, was somewhere else. So you're watching this type of thing. And you see what happens with with Tony Romo. Tony Romo is a predominantly AFC area. When he goes to New England, they're playing predominantly AFC teams. So if he's watching that go on, he gets to have fun. He gets to see what everybody else gets to do. He gets to see what everybody else is working with. He doesn't see as much Cowboy football as what Troy Aikman would, except for this year on Thanksgiving. So he gets to enjoy that. If Troy Aitman goes home after the game in Detroit earlier this year and gets to watch that, then he's going to be more upset about it. So when you naturally see more Dallas Cowboy football, 
you're going to be upset. Troitman gets done doing that game in Dallas, comes home, or gets done doing that game in Detroit, comes back, watches what's going on with Dallas. That's going to seep in. Troitman doesn't have to, or Tony Romo doesn't have to do any of that. 855-2124-CBS. Tom, does that make sense? Makes a ton of sense. I think Thank that's you. the whole story right there. It's funny that I've Thank heard, I've, I've seen the comment or heard the comment today that Gary Danielson hates and is biased against Alabama and that Troy Aikman is biased against the Cowboys, and they're both just like, wow, guys. I know, I know. Wow, guys. But and no, I, fans always fans also, always think that when it comes to when it comes to uh, when it comes to the play by play guys and the teams. We I don't we do that. We, we did that here with Joe Buck and, and with the Chicago Cubs. Yeah, I don't understand why. And it also ties into, like, Cleveland's reaction to some of my comments on this show about being, like, super negative about the Browns. But it's also, like, if you want a team to succeed and you're in a position to comment mm-hmm. and you see problems, then your but responsibility I- is to point out the problems. And I think Aikman moderates that so well. He could be – I mean, he could have jumped off the Garrett train years ago. Literally. Think about this. He has stayed patient and behind Garrett basically all the way up until two weeks ago, three weeks ago, mm-hmm. uh, when it became undeniable that this guy's done. So, I mean, like, yeah, there's I, a lot I saw, more of the responsibility of what he does than I think people even try to understand. I, I think, but I do think Phillip's right, and I think it's probably bothering Phillip that, yeah, I'm, I'm sitting here trash-talking the Cowboys. They won against the Rams, and I didn't care. And Phillip is probably right, where he's watching this game, these games, he sees Troy Aitman. Again, you're, you're going to predominantly play NFC teams since you're in the NFC. And so you'll have more of those road opponents. That means they're coming to town. That means Fox is going to be there. That means you're going to see those guys. Predominantly, that's the way it's going to be. And Troy Aitman has finally had enough. And so you see one of the greatest Cowboys ever. Don't care what you tell me. One of the greatest Cowboys ever telling you your team's garbage and, and trying to grit his teeth through it. So I can even understand where Phillip's a little bit angry, but I can understand where Troy Aitman is probably incensed. He's also doing two with what games he's a week this year with this yeah. Thursday package, which I, I'm telling you, it has a huge impact on them. Like yes, He's grumpier this season because of how just ground down he is. Yes, and then he's he is. also simultaneously dealing with a real roller coaster of a Cowboys season. 855-2124-CBS, 855-2124-227. I'm putting this conversation on the shelf. All right? It's on the shelf. Up next, we go five burning questions. And later on, I have cracked the code to Home Alone. I promise you I have. And... You're the CEO of your franchise. Time for you to act like it. It's Ken Carmen on CBS Sports Radio. This is the Ken Carmen Show on CBS Sports Radio. Less than 20 minutes away, you're the CEO of your franchise. Act like it. Right now, five burning questions. Five burning questions. Five burning questions. There we are, baby. Let's go, Tom. Five burning questions. All right, let's, let's do get it. into it. Uh, so big news on Thursday as as um... <laughs> that's why oh, we should have done it at twelve twenty. That's my fault. Go ahead. All right, go ahead, Tom. So we had big news on Thursday as potential number <laughs> one overall pick, Memphis star James Wiseman, announced he's leaving the school. Will sign with an agent and start to prepare for the twenty twenty NBA draft. He was, of course, suspended by the NCAA, fined ludicrously eleven thousand five hundred dollars for yeah. some impermissible benefits thing relating to his coach Penny Hardaway moving him uh, long before he enrolled in the school. He only yeah. plays three games now before finishing his college career. Of course, Kyrie Irving played only 11 games at Duke before going number one overall. That is the fewest games ever. It's possible mm-hmm. Wiseman will break that. But, Ken, do you think this is the start of a new trend for the very top prospects in college hoops not playing very many games in their one season? In I think so. I think so. Because you have a system now where guys find out. <laughs> well, 
Mm, take that back. I take that back. Because somebody yesterday said, well, I think at some point, this, I'm going to ask Sean Hyken about this too. That's coming up at uh, 1 o'clock Eastern. Uh, somebody yesterday brought up, they think that the G League is going to be more, more popular than college basketball someday. I say, man, I just don't think the main red claws are ever going to be the Duke Blue Devils. I think that when we go back to being able to draft high school players, a guy like him will be able to just go to high or go to the NBA and that's it. I think we can go back a little bit to the way things were. Sorry, I had to sneeze. We can go back a little bit to the way things were. So I, I do. I, I For a second, I wanted to say yes, but now I think that it, it goes back to the way, okay, four-year guys can go back to college basketball. You can fall in love with the player a little bit more than you used to. Or if he's just that exceptional, fine. He can come after a year or anything like that. So I would still say no. This is an exception. This is not going to be the rule. Next. All right, so the Sixers lost 117-98 to last night to the Mavericks in a highly anticipated game. They looked pretty dismal. Dallas looked amazing. And it led to this absolute fire tweet from Kevin O'Connor of The Ringer. He said, sad to see Ben Simmons turn into Jaleel Okafor crossed with Michael Carter-Williams in the fourth quarter. Sixers fans should be furious about his lack of offensive development. Simmons is still a cowardly shooter, a half-court liability, and a detriment to Philly's playoff odds. Uh, that's pretty amazing, and I can't wow. even say I disagree with any of it. Is it possible that the process is never going to reach its potential? I really, I'm, I'm questioning. Who sent that again? Kevin O'Connor from the. Damn, right. that's a mean tweet. Yeah, he, he, a cowardly shooter. That's lava right there. That's a that's someone who took personal stock in him. That's someone who bet on that game, allegedly. Allegedly. Uh damn. Uh, There's something I, to it though. I, well, really there is. is. There is. Every single time. I got tired of it last year because any time Philadelphia lost a game, it's time to trade Ben Simmons. Well, it's time to trade Ben Simmons. Maybe it is time to trade Ben Simmons. I I don't know if it's ever going to get that way. I think that they're betting a lot on talent, but if the guy's never going to reach a talent, like there was a time people loved Jeff Green and thought Jeff Green was going to be the next big thing. And there is every now and then where Uncle Jeff would have a game where he was as good, I swear to God, and if you're an inside basketball guy, you know this. There were games where he was a step away from LeBron. And then it goes away for two years. And then every now and then, there's a step away from LeBron LeBron and what he can do. And I watch Ben Simmons. I don't know if Ben Simmons ever has that type of a game, but I just don't think he's going to reach his full potential. I I don't know if I would have been as mean as Kevin O'Connor there, but I see where Kevin is, and I think I agree with him. Next. All right, we got to talk about our two football coaches, you and I, Freddie Kitchens and Adam Gase. Now, both are supposedly going to come back next year as per management, but nobody is believing it in either case. There's another report today that Adam Gase has lost the Jets' locker room, and it seems like the Cleveland fan base has kind of rejected this notion that Kitchens is certainly going to be back. Which one do you think at this point, Ken, is more likely to actually get fired? Freddie. I think they wanted to work with Freddie. I think that John wants it to work with Freddie. John Dorsey wants it to work with Freddie. Uh, right now with Gase, I think they could take it or leave it. I could see a little bit more where Gase has been a head coach before. He's got that pedigree. But when you really break it down, if I wanted to be Kevin O'Connor mean about it, I could just turn around and say, um, yeah, well, you know what? You, your best pedigree was with Peyton Manning. And I just did a whole thing about Peyton Manning being the number three best quarterback of all time. So I think I would probably stop there. When it comes to Freddie, I, I watched a team that had aspirations to go to the playoffs last week quit against the Arizona Cardinals. With the exception of two players on that defense, I don't really think the Arizona Cardinals are really that good. And I don't think I'm breaking anything there to anybody. A lot of people are driving around going, no bleep. Uh, They quit last week, and last week was ugly. 
They tried to calm some of that down, but you're taking on Baltimore this week. So if Freddie wins this, and you're going to think it's results-based, but it's not. If Freddie wins this, maybe he keeps his job because you'll probably win against Cincinnati. You would be 8-8. Eight and eight. I don't know if you want to move that way, and you're 5-1 and one against the division. That means that I could start to make arguments that something works. But they're not going to beat Baltimore, and more than likely they'll lose by multiple touchdowns against Baltimore, and if it gets embarrassing, then people are going to boo. So anybody who thinks that everything's going to be fine, just because Odell Beckham Jr. talked earlier this week, you're, you're a fan, and I can, I can tell you you're a fan, and that's okay, or you're just lying to yourself. Because if they go out and they get hammered in their final home game against Baltimore, and there's a chance they certainly could, uh, we're going to go through all this all over again, starting on Monday morning. So don't think for a second that that guy's out of the woods. And obviously, with what Adam Gase is doing, I fear for the future of Sam Darnold. I fear for the future of Baker Mayfield. With both of these head coaches, the Browns and the Jets need to dig deep and think, I know it would look clownish if we fired these guys after one year, do we want to double down on a mistake or can we go out and find something better? You know, in Cleveland, I think that any fan right now would drive Ron Rivera or Mike McCarthy right to the front door at 76 Lugrosa. They want adults in charge. I think with the Jets, it's probably the same thing. These guys, and Sam Darnold and especially Baker Mayfield, need an adult to run their football team, to run their franchise, and to take care of them. John Harbaugh, Sean McDermott, they're adults. Guess what? The quarterbacks that they took out of that draft class, they're doing well. I think that you need to take a ba- take a page out of those books. Next. All right, sticking in Cleveland, lots of talk around Francisco Lindor's trade ability right now, especially after the Kluber trade. There's a bunch of really interesting uh, MLB offensive superstars available supposedly for trade right now. I'm going to ask you which you think is the most intriguing out of Lindor, Chris Bryant, Nolan Arenado, and Mookie Betts. I think Betts, Arenado, then Lindor, and then Chris Bryant scares me a little bit. Well, you know what? No, Betts, Lindor, Arenado. Then Chris Bryant. Chris Bryant scares me a little bit. Arenado, it's been one year. It tells me you're looking for some people to fill the seats, and that's not working, and that team's not that good, and it's been a weird year for him. Uh, Mookie Betts, I think, would be a flyer. He's a good bowler, too, so I like him. I think that he'd be a lot of help to a baseball team that's willing to pay him long-term. And Francisco Lindor is an absolutely remarkable player. People will argue here that he doesn't show up in the postseason. I don't think the teams really care about that. I think that teams think that they can fix all those things, and all it takes is one hot streak, and away you go. So for any one of those guys, I think they're all viable. I think they're all valuable. But I, that's how we would put those guys in that order. Next. All right, we'll finish in the NFL. kind of links to the top 10 quarterback conversation we just had. NBC uh, Sports did a top 10 individual NFL seasons of the decade, which I thought was really cool. So Ooh. some options are Lamar's uh, season this year, obviously Patrick Mahomes last year, Peyton Manning's 2013. The year before, Adrian Peterson ran for 2,000 yards. J.J. Watt was absolutely shockingly dominant in 2014. What would you say, Ken? What was the best individual NFL season of the last decade? Damn. Peyton Manning and 55 touchdowns. That has got to be up there, right? That was amazing. That was an amazing season. I know it ended up clunky. Uh, You're going to call me. You're going to say I'm taking the cheap way out because I know we got to get the break. I I love Mahomes last year. That's my answer. I I think he scared the hell out of everybody. I think he showed everybody what he's capable of, and I'm going to do that because it helps me push my agenda with what I wanted to say about Kansas City being the most dangerous team. I think other NFL teams take them seriously. 
I just don't think we're talking enough about him. When we look at AFC teams, we're either talking about how great the how great the Ravens are or how scared we are that the Patriots dynasty is coming to an end. We get excited about the Bills. Nobody's talking about the Chiefs, and they need to be talking about the Chiefs because that's still the defending MVP, and I'm still convinced that's the only team, unless Baltimore has a complete meltdown in the postseason, I think that's the only team that could line up and beat them one-on-one with good football because I think they, they will go out to a lead, and I think they're the only offense that can keep pace with them. Coming up at high noon... We'll talk to John Breach, CBS Sports NFL writer. We always thank Tom for a great five burning questions. And up next, folks, I've cracked the code of Home Alone. And you're the CEO of your franchise. It's high time you put on a suit and act like. This is the Ken Carmen Show on CBS Sports Radio. 855-2124-CBS, 855-2124-227. Send the tweet, send them hot, at Ken Carmen, C-A-R-M-A-N. Coming up in a moment, I rip my own quarterback. That's going to be a lot of fun. Because I told you, I'll talk to you as a fan every now and then. And yes, I'm doing that because I don't have a spine, and I know that we don't have clearance in Cleveland for another 20 minutes. 855-212-4CBS, less than 20 minutes away. John Breach will join us, CBS Sports NFL writer. First, though, boys. Now, first off, Sean, have you seen Home Alone? Uh, yeah, it's been a long time, though. Of course, yes, I understand that. That's that's perfectly fine. Tom, have you seen Home Alone? Yes, my fiance somehow hasn't and refuses to watch it. But yes, I've seen it. Many, uh, why many, does she? Many, well, many, wait a minute, wait. Why does she refuse to watch it? Why is that? Because it's one of those things now where she's been so belittled for having missed this movie that now she's she's too proud. That's uh, see, that's what I hate about movie people. Okay, we, I've we, never we, seen. We do tend to do that. It's true. I you've never seen? No, you haven't. It's okay. Why don't you bleep and relax? All right. That one's yeah. Really bad. How have you not oh, seen Home Alone? Have I told you what movie I haven't seen? Which one? I people say it's like I'm bragging about it now. It's Star Wars. I've never seen Star yeah, Wars. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's pretty, that's much more common, and it's like sci-fi. I understand. I mean, that's crazy. It's terrible. You need to go watch it. And you, I, think, I will I go think watch you'll it. Love it. Actually. Eventually, I'll yeah. Eventually, There's I'll a go see it. Whimsical level of Star Wars that I think you'll really identify with. But anyway, it's totally different. I think this is like this is worse. But yeah, I shouldn't be doing that. Nobody should be doing that. I gotta but, get her to watch but, it. Though. But it's such a natural thing that people do. You haven't seen this. You haven't seen, and then they and then they rip you for it. Yeah. Why haven't you seen it? I don't know. Why haven't you done what whatever you've done in your life? I, I don't know what to tell you. So just see if you can bring her around. See if you if, if she's seen if she can see Home Alone. So Tom's seen it. Sean is seeing. Most of the American public have seen it. Most of the people listening have seen it. I was driving home the other day, and I, I thought about this because I, I didn't want to do my typical Uncle Frank thing. I go, you know, now's the time of year where I I get to talk about Home Alone, and I've done it before, and I did it last year, where I, I just rip, I, I rip Uncle Frank. I think Uncle Frank is the worst character in movie history. Like, there have been super, superheroes against supervillains who have tried to end the earth, and I think that those people are actually better than Uncle Frank. I hate Uncle Frank more than a lot of things in my life. And one of my favorite things that I ever heard was in Home Alone 2 when Kevin says, whoa, sorry to spoil your vacation there, Mr. Cheapskate, when he says it to Uncle Frank. Like, I want to stand up and applaud. I can't stand Uncle Frank. And it's always because if Kevin were my son, like, Kevin is a precocious but a little bit troubled because he's maybe a little bit too smart for himself, as, as you can see what he can do with any House of Horrors. He's a precocious yet a little bit troubled young man. And even though I know I have to discipline him better than what Peter McAllister is, because I'm a better father than Peter McAllister, obviously. Even though he might need a little bit more discipline, it's not Uncle Frank's job to try to belittle him. And I'll be damned if Uncle Frank, I got a brother-in-law, I will be damned if my brother-in-law 
calls my son a little jerk in front of the entire family before we go on a vacation that I'm paying for. I'll tell you that right now. So I think personally about it, and I ain't Uncle Frank. I've done whole I've done whole segments on Grandpa Joe from Willy Wonka. I've done all that. I told you, I can't stand Adrian in Rocky. At some point, you have to understand that your husband is trying to dig you out of the crap that you continuously bury yourself into. The man has a dream. He's taken you out of squalor, has brought to you brought you to a new lifestyle, and what did you do? You let your stupid, idiot, drunk brother run your family finances. Rocky can barely read. Hell, he can't read. Look at what they said about him in, in Rocky too. So I get mad at Adrian. But this is beside the point. Usually I do the same thing about Uncle Frank, and I thought, no, nah, it's different. And I was watching some Home Alone because my middle son, he's three years old, he just loves Macaulay Culkin. He doesn't know what happens to Macaulay Culkin later in life, but he loves Macaulay Culkin now. So I'm watching the movie, and it hits me because I'm looking on Wikipedia. I always thought that Uncle Frank was Kate's brother. I never knew that Uncle Frank was Peter's older brother. And doing internet research, from the last how many years, I tend to read a lot of conspiracy theories. And one of the conspiracy theories is that Peter is a mobster. Hit the music. Because i got to set the mood for this. I'm driving home the other day, and it hits me on my ride home from downtown Cleveland to Streetsboro, Ohio. Uncle Frank is Peter's older brother. I didn't know that until this year. And now all the cosmic tumblers click into place. I assumed before that he was Kate's brother and that Peter, because he loves his wife, was paying for lavish vacations, letting, letting Uncle Frank take showers with the door unlocked for whatever reason, singing at the top of his un- angry, ugly lungs, old, terrible songs, and letting him do that because it's his wife's stupid older brother, and he loves her. I thought he was just tolerating it. I thought that Uncle Frank needed a shot in the mouth. I never realized it was his brother. Now it all makes sense. Peter is in the mob. Peter is a mob boss. Peter is a guy who needs to go out and take what's his. Peter has been able to build a tremendous lifestyle for he and his family. He has umpteen children. And Frank knows this. And Frank, being a cheap ass, also wants power. But Frank ain't got the guts to do it. But Frank has come up with a plan. And so when I look at Home Alone, I see Frank. And Frank, the entire time, knows one thing. He wants what Peter has. He wants the house. He wants the power. He wants the money, most of all. He's upset that his little brother has more than him. It's just like Fredo and Michael. He's supposed to be able to run the family. Uncle Frank's smart. He's not stupid. He's smart. He knows what he could do. But Peter knows he has to take care of him. That's why Peter buys these lavish vacations. That's why Peter pays $122.50 for pizza. And Frank, oh, he only has traveler's checks. My ass, you only have traveler's checks. You cheap ass. But Uncle Frank knows. Uncle Frank knows that Peter's soft spot is his family. But he also knows another thing that eventually Peter will let everybody in on the secret or let his sons in on the secret of what Peter actually does. But Peter knows that Buzz can't be the next head of the mob family. Buzz is an idiot. Watch Buzz throughout that entire movie. Buzz is a quintessential moron. And more than likely, 
Buzz is being told by what to, told what to do by people he bullied in high school. Because Bud, Buzz was a bad kid and a stupid kid, and I'm glad that things are probably going wrong in life for Buzz right now. But Kevin's a smart young man. Kevin knows exactly what to do. Look at what he did in the house in Home Alone 1. Look at what he did in that house in Home Alone 2. He just used what he had around him. That's a killer instinct. That's the head of the next family that Peter, and if you want to say his last name's McAllister, go right on ahead. I don't believe that for a single second. But that's what the next thing that Kevin McAllister is going to do. And Frank ain't no dummy. Even though he's cheap, he knows this. So Frank unhatches a plan. Go with me on this, Tom. Go with me on this, Sean. Frank unhatches a plan that Kevin wants pizza. There's only one cheese pizza in the entire house. Now, Buzz might be a bit of a fatty, but Buzz isn't going to eat that entire pizza by himself. So Uncle Frank helps him polish it off. All before Kevin comes downstairs to come eat cheese pizza, knowing that that pizza was specifically for Kevin. He knows that brothers fight. Kevin ensues to fight Buzz. The pop goes everywhere. Who speaks up while everybody's paused? It's Uncle Frank. Look at what you did, you little jerk. He knew it was going to send Kevin upstairs. All that need, all that's needed after that is a well-placed windstorm. Now, you only see on TV the wind hitting the transformer and then the power going out. I don't think that that actually happened. That could happen anywhere. That could have happened in Schaumburg, Illinois. Didn't happen where they lived. No, Frank went downstairs and he hit the breaker. He tripped it, turned it back on. All of a sudden, things are blinking. Everybody's alarms are off. It makes things late. And then remember, who was possibly the daughter who counted everybody when they were getting on their way to the airport? Now, this is argued that it's actually the kid of the brother that they're going to visit. I can't, I can't fight you on that. But I think it might have been Frank's daughter. And either she's dim-witted or she's in on it herself. And so all it takes is a bit of a half-assed teenage count or somebody who even more diabolically was in it who counts the neighbor kid as Kevin. And so everybody's perfectly fine. And away they go over to Paris, and in comes Harry and Marv. Don't you folks see this? This isn't just something that we're two cat burglars who want to call themselves the sticky bandits but end up being the wet bandits. It's not something where two cat burglars want some china, want some jewelry, want some things like that. They got that from the other houses. They're fine. They're They're filthy thieves. They do that. What they wanted was the booty, they wanted the money, they wanted the loot, and they were going to be offered it by Frank. Frank is a cheap ass, make no mistake about it, but Franco, Frank was also half broke, mostly broke, maybe even fully broke. I can't necessarily tell you which, because Frank had spent a substantial amount of money to give it to Harry, to give it to Marv. This became a mob hit. How all of a sudden, by the way, if you want to know something, how all of a sudden did... Harry find himself in a cop uniform at the beginning of that movie. How all of a sudden on the welfare check, when they find out that Kevin's home alone, there's a couple of knocks and the guy goes, tell her to check her kids again. We got Serpico dirty cops in on it, America. That's why. And over this time, Harry has to go and find Kevin. You tell me how two funny cat burglars, two basically innocent guys who are on the wrong side of the track, just trying to knock over a few houses, make a little bit of buck for themselves, all of a sudden they become bloodthirsty, angry people who are hell-bent on revenge of an eight-year-old boy. 
Because Frank's paid them off. Because Frank tells them that when he takes over the family, because he'll eventually knock over Peter, that they will be given great positions as captains in his mob family. Notice on their way to Paris, once Catherine O'Hara, by the way, her name Kate, not that far from Kay, by the way, there's plenty of Godfather references we can make to this. Frank, terrible, just terrible. His wife is fallen over with sadness over her nephew, home alone at eight years old. Catherine O'Hara, beyond, uh, beyond sadness. Uncle Frank, terrible, just terrible. And throughout that time, Peter notices. Peter ain't dumb. Peter might have a soft spot for his family. That's true. And all of a sudden, the wheels start to turn in Peter's head. That his older brother, Frank, he knows he's manipulative. He knows that Frank, if he if he goes back and, and, and tells him that he's cheap for wanting these, these free vacations, for these lavish trips, for airfare, for free pizza worth $122.50, for all of that, for the back talk to his son, that Frank will let everybody in on the secret and find out exactly how their father makes his money. And he's not ready to tell the family that yet. Just like the beginning with the Sopranos. He don't want anybody to know. But then at that point it turns because it starts to click for Peter that this is a mob hit against his son that he's going to hand this family over to and it's not set up by anybody else than his own brother. They all come back home. Everything's fine because Frank didn't account for Kevin to be smarter than Frank himself or certainly Buzz or for the two hitmen that he hired to go out and kill Kevin. He was better than all of them. And by the way, Home Alone 2, a trip to Miami after a trip to Paris, France, If you think that that's just some sort of a vacation, you're nuts. They really feed people to the lions down there. You saw that in Goodfellas. All it took was a trip to the store. All it took was a walk down a dock. All it took was maybe, oh, I don't know, a trip on a boat. Maybe named after an Italian thing that I don't know if I can say on the radio. All it took was one trip. That Home Alone 2 trip was a trip to kill Frank. So in the end, Kevin, even though... Frank wants him dead. Kevin saves his own life. And then Kevin, in turn, saves Peter's life. It's all a mob hit. It's all set up. Peter, in the end, is a member of the mob. And that's Home Alone 1 and 2. And if you're still listening to this, you probably think I'm nuts. Maybe John Breach will. He joins us next on CBS Sports Radio. T-Mobile has invested billions to light up America's largest 5G network from big cities to small towns, including right here in yours. And great coverage is just the beginning. Right now, families and small businesses can save up to 20% versus AT&T and Verizon when they switch. Visit your local T-Mobile store today. Plan savings with three lines of T-Mobile essentials versus comparable available plans. Plan features and taxes and fees may vary.